Um, so the reading is 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, and that can be found on page 1195 in the Red Bibles, and we have uh, other Bibles in other languages and versions uh, available at the back, um, and the page numbers for those are above me on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God who I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Great, Ali, thank you very much. I want to begin with a question, and the question is this. What are you going to devote yourself to? What are you going to devote your life to? September uh, feels like a new start for a lot of people. You're maybe coming back for a a new year uh, at university, many of you. Some of you may have uh, come to university for the first time. Uh, And even if that's not uh, you today, uh, I guess that you can get caught up in the buzz of a new term and new excitement, whether it's part of your life or not. And uh, from time to time, it's good to take stock and think, what am I living for? What am I I going to live my life for? What am I going to devote myself to? Uh, There'll be lots of things swimming around in these next few weeks, and you'll think of lots of causes, lots of things that you can put lots of time and effort and energy into. I want to start with a story. Um, of this young man. His name is Ryan, I, I hope they get this right, Ryan Threljack. I think that's how you pronounce it, Ryan Threljack. And when he was six, uh, some people came into young Ryan's school and they explained to him, he lives in Canada, but they explained to him that in some parts of the world people don't have fresh water. And, and young Ryan was very struck by this and thought, well, I wonder what I can do to help. And he heard from these people who came in that it would cost $2,000 to provide a well for fresh water for a village of people in in the third world. And as Ryan um, uh, heard that, he went away, really wanted to do something about it. He was gripped with it. And so young Ryan, six years old, went and did chores for people. And he said, if I do chores for you, will you give me a bit of money so that I can raise this amount that I can go and give to these people so they can have a well for some clean water? And over a few months, it was a few years ago, and he did quite well, and he got $70, $70 or something. And, you know, well done, Ryan. But he wasn't satisfied with that. And he, he let more people know what he was doing. And some people got really invested in it. And some of them said, right, whatever you raise, I'll match. So he went out, did some more chores, and he would get like another $100, and somebody would put another 100 in. And, and suddenly he raised the profile of this thing over time. He got his whole community involved. Fast forward about 20-odd years. There he is at the UN. 
He started a charity called Ryan's Well. They have provided fresh water to almost one million people. He was gripped with a vision of something so powerful, so profound, he gave his life to it. He has devoted himself to a cause and he's done a great deal of good work and the work still continues. What are you going to devote yourself to as you start out on a new year? There are loads of options in Manchester. If you're new to Manchester, it's a great city. Just down the road, the Manchester City training ground. Other football teams are available in the city. There's sports all over the place. You, you can devote yourself to sport, can't you? You can give hours to it. Uh, Manchester's a city known for its music. You can devote yourself uh, to music. You can practice for hours uh, to get really good. It's over in Media City, you've got the BBC. Do you want to devote yourself to, to being a personality on the television? Do you want to uh, get somewhere in the world of news or, or journalism or something like that? Well, Manchester's a great place to do that. You can give your life to that if you want. There'll be lots of options for you as you start out a new year. And there'll be lots of people, by the way, who'll be looking for your devotion. Uh, lots of people who'll be saying, yeah, this is a really good thing to commit yourself to. Do this. I was talking to one student last year, a music student, and he told me that one of his tutors told him, your instrument must become your God. Your instrument must become your God. You've got to devote yourself to it. You've got to commit yourself to it. And of course, doing that with anything, whether it's music or sport or a career, it involves time, it involves effort, it involves cost, it'll often involve suffering. It'll be painful as you do it. You'll have to turn things down. You'll have to turn away from things. You'll have to say no to stuff. You'll, you'll have to press on in those days when it's really hard to keep going. But there can be great reward in devoting yourself to something. The freedom someone experiences when they can just sit down at an instrument and play. I can't. I've not got a musical bone in my body. But the, the freedom you see when somebody just sits down and starts playing. Uh, the wonder of somebody who's passionate about something, getting something done and, and making a stride. Well, what are you going to devote yourself to? There are lots of options. And yet here's what Paul, the apostle, one of the most significant people in human history, says to Timothy, his young protege. There is nothing better, nothing more important for you to devote your life to than the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing that gospel get to work in other people's lives. Doing Christian ministry, helping disciple and grow other people. There is nothing better, more wonderful, more exciting, more relevant and meaningful and important than this work. And really the whole letter is written to him to say, Stand firm on that. Make that your goal. Be devoted to that. Press on with that because it is the most important thing you can do with your life. Why? Well, the start of the letter helps shape the rest of the letter. And we get the hints in these first few verses that are going to be developed throughout the series. But, but, but here's what Paul starts with. He wants Timothy to know the promise and the pressure of Christian ministry. The promise and the pressure of Christian ministry. In verse 1, did you notice how Paul begins after introducing himself? 
he talks to Timothy about the promise of life. The promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. See, the Bible story starts off with a God who is full of love and light and life. And he creates a world to be full of love and light and life. He's a good God who's generous and gives life to everything and wants everything that he creates to enjoy abundant life. That's the kind of God the God of the Bible is. I don't know what your view of God is, whether you think of him as some sort of grumpy old school teacher in the sky who's just looking to don't run too fast and don't do that. No. The Bible says God is a God of abundant beauty and love and joy and life that he longs to share with everyone else. And when life at its best, we, we get a sense of that in the world, don't we? When, when it's just beautiful and wonderful, those days when you just feel full of joy. And the Bible says that's because behind reality is this God of love and light and life who created a good world for us to enjoy. And yet we all know, don't we, that the world's not always like that. That sometimes it's frustrating and difficult. And, and the Bible says that's because humans decided they didn't want anything to do with that God. They walked away from him. And so whilst there are still traces of that goodness and love and joy and beauty in the world all, all around, there's also hardship and struggle and frustration. And there are times when life just doesn't seem to be going anywhere and we don't know what we're, we're doing. But the Bible claims it has the answer to those frustrations, the promise of life, the thing we were all made for. Some people call it the meaning of life. The meaning of life. Paul says to Timothy, in Christ Jesus there is this promise, this meaning of life, the, the thing that life is all about. It's there. It's in him. See, the thing is, since we walked away from God, human beings have, from time to time, tried to discover for themselves the meaning of life. There are all sorts of philosophers that have tried it. It's not really worked for them. And over time, people get so jaded that the meaning of life becomes little more than a joke. You might know these pictures, one from Monty Python, who made a whole comic film about the meaning of life, where they didn't answer any questions at all. And of course, in uh, uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they build a supercomputer to discover the meaning of life. You, you may not know the story. And it gives the answer to the great question. The meaning of life. What is the answer to the question of life? 42. Makes great sense, doesn't it? And it's a joke because people get so jaded with the idea that life might even have a meaning after running around for so long trying to discover it. And Paul says, there's no need to go running around. The promise of life is in Christ Jesus. And can I just share for a moment that that's why I became a Christian. That's why I decided to follow Jesus, or rather God brought me to this place. That's why I think I agree with Paul that there's nothing better to give your life to than Christian ministry. Because, you know, I heard all the arguments for the resurrection, and I believe there's lots of good factual arguments for that. I, I've heard all the logic and the debates and all the rest of it. And yeah, I do believe there's more sense believing in God than not. And if you want to talk to me about that, I'm happy to talk to anyone about it at any time. But do you know what really convinced me? When I read the Bible, I went, that's real life. This is the true story of the world. It explains to me why life can be so good at times and yet so hard at other times. It explains to me why deep inside I realise there is this profound thirst for life and meaning and love and joy because there is a God behind it all 
who is full of life and wants us to enjoy life. And in Christ Jesus, he has kept his promise that life and abundant life is available for everyone. And so what could be more important or vital than to give your life to than letting everyone know? than letting other people see what this promise is and how precious it is and why it's important and good for them to give their life to it. Well, that should be enough of a reason right there, shouldn't it, to see that there's promise in Christian ministry. But there is more than that. See, this is a promise that that is bigger than just me. So there's three. Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, With a clear conscience, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And then in verse 5, he reminds Timothy that he has a sympathy of faith and that his grandmother had before him and his mother uh, between the two. And Paul is just reminding Timothy here that this is bigger than just about him and Paul. Uh, It goes back centuries through Paul's ancestors, uh, the people of Israel, as they were the ones who were supposed to hold out the promises of God to the world. And it it runs through Timothy's family tree for a couple of generations. Maybe your parents or or grandparents uh, had faith and uh, prayed for you and and brought you uh, up to know Jesus or or something like that. Maybe you're at that stage where you're wondering whether, do I want to carry on with that or not? Well, we're in a day and age where people love causes, don't they? they? They love being caught up in causes, something bigger than they are. People are dissatisfied with a kind of selfish life, which is just about me and my little world. They want to do something that's bigger than them. And Paul says, I've got the greatest cause of all. The promise of life in Jesus Christ uh, that's about more than just me. It's a movement of people that God has been raising up from centuries past right to this day. You want to be involved in something bigger than you? Nothing better you can choose than the gospel. And it's a promise of family. Timothy's uh, family here is mentioned, but did you notice in verse 2 how Paul greets Timothy? To Timothy, my dear son. They weren't physically related, but once Timothy had started to follow Jesus. Paul took him with him everywhere. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And he went on important missions with him for the gospel. And Paul says, Timothy, you are my dear son. We are family because we're in this great movement of Jesus Christ, holding out the promise of life to the world together. You want to be part of something bigger than you? You want to be part of something that really does solve the meaning and mystery of life. You want to be part of something where there's a real community of deep love that forms the gospel. Christian ministry, that's, that's where it's at, says Paul. There is nothing greater to give your life to than that. And yet, that's not the whole story. There's wonderful promise in Christian ministry. There's wonderful joy in it. But there are pressures too. I wonder if you notice them. Verse 4. Recalling your tears. You see, Timothy was put in charge of a church by Paul, but it hasn't been easy going. 
This letter is called to Timothy, and there was one Timothy, which was a whole letter Paul wrote, because he was having difficulties with his church. And of course, Paul was Timothy's mentor, and he's been snatched away from him and put in prison. Now that's hard. It's not all plain sailing. There are hardships. Churches full of people who are like all of us. Messy. Sinful. Occasionally they get grumpy or petty or angry with somebody. And there can be conflicts in any church. And that creates pain and anxiety and pressure. And there's another thing, isn't there? Did you notice in verse 7 how Paul tells Timothy that the Spirit of God doesn't make us timid? Which could be translated cowardly. He's reminding Timothy, don't, don't back off. Because, you know, you know, sometimes when you've got to go to another difficult meeting, when you've got to try and confront somebody about that thing that's not quite right and you just don't want to do it. The temptation is just to say, not going to do it. When you get that phone call that tells you that somebody's really ill and uh, they, need, they want someone to go and be with them because they, they, they think they're going to die. And there's a bit of you that doesn't want to be near that. That's uncomfortable. And it's easy to make an excuse or shy away from a difficult conversation, a difficult meeting. And if you're in church life, if you're doing Christian ministry in whatever form, there will be some difficult meetings. There will be difficult confrontations. There will be hard conversations. And it will be tempting to be timid. Because there's pressure. In verse 6, he reminds him to fan into flame or maybe rekindle the gift of God. And maybe that's where you're at right now, that you were a Christian at one time really going for it, but recently you've just taken a back step. Not quite as on fire as you once were. Life and its pressures can bear down on us, can't they, and get in the way. And it's easy when that happens just to coast. That's just normal. It's the normal pressures of doing any kind of Christian ministry. As somebody who's involved full-time in a paid capacity doing that, I can tell you I've had all those experiences. And if you do any kind of ministry, you'll have them too. You see, there's a danger here that we think Timothy's particularly soft or wimpy. Uh, Some people call him timid Timothy. I don't think that's right. Uh, I think actually he's typical Timothy. Just ordinary church life puts the pressure on. There's great promise in it, but there's pressure too. And at this stage, I hope you're asking a a few questions and thinking a few things. I hope you're thinking, well, I can see if it's this big deal that you're talking about, this promise of life, this huge thing that's that's universal and, and globally spanning and goes back centuries, I can see why that would be something worth getting involved in. But yeah, I can see why it's hard too. 
I can see why it's tough. I can see there's pressure in it. I, I can see it'll mean cost and suffering and, and pain at times as I have those awkward conversations. And maybe you're asking this, this question. Where do I get the power to do it? Where do I get the strength to do this kind of ministry, to devote myself to the gospel in the way that Paul is encouraging uh, Timothy to. Where does that power come from? How can you do it? Well, here's where it doesn't come from. It doesn't come from saying, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to dig down into myself, into my guts, and, and, and find the strength within me to just keep going. It's not where it comes from. When you get ordained in the Church of England, um, they say these words to you. You cannot bear the weight of this calling in your own strength. What a nice encouraging word if you start out on a new ministry. But it is encouraging. Because it means, first of all, don't even try. Don't try and do it just by digging deeper into yourself and gritting your teeth and your fingernails and saying, I'm just going to work really, really hard at it and maybe it'll... You can't do that with your own strength. But, here's the encouragement for us. This enormous, important, glorious task, this glorious cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ... God doesn't let us do it in our own strength. He gives us help. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul was an apostle, and so through his laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit would come on early Christians. He's reminding him that he's been given a gift. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, God himself, who now lives in Timothy. And look what the Holy Spirit, what he does in in and for Timothy. Verse 7. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, cowardly, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, self-discipline. God himself, if you're wondering how how can you do this enormous task that just seems so big and and you can see the difficulties, maybe maybe you're wary of some role you've taken on, maybe you're on the CU exec this year for the first time and you're like, wow, it just seems such a big job. How am I going to do it? Pray first. Ask God to give you the Holy Spirit to fill you with the Holy Spirit because he brings you power, love, and self-discipline. He gives you what you need. He gives you power. And that's power to keep going. Uh, I don't know if you... you, I hear power, I think, superhero movie now at the minute because there's just so many of them around, aren't there? Uh, and you think, oh, this great power to, you know, move things with your mind or, or whatever else like that. But do you know what my favourite moment in any superhero film is? It's a bit of a weird one. It, it comes in Avengers Infinity War. And there's a moment where the bad guy, spoilers alert, but if you've not seen it, it's been out for a couple of years. I mean, come on. Um, there's a moment where the bad guy, Thanos, he's, he's been gaining more and more power through the film. And he's basically got to the point where he's completely unstoppable. He's this raging sort of monster who's coming at everybody. And Captain America, he's not like the most powerful of the heroes at all. He's just a slightly 
slightly better version of a, a normal person. You know, he's been given a bit of a formula to make him a bit faster, a bit stronger. And he just stands there. He sees him coming and he goes right toward him and he stands. Because you see, Captain America's real superpower isn't his strength or anything like that, it's his character. It's that when the battle comes his way, he doesn't shirk it. He stands his ground to protect people. That's the kind of power we're talking about here. Not, not the superhero power, the, the strength of character to keep going. Power. And it's a different kind of power because it, it's power that comes with love. It's not power that's used for yourself. Love is, love is pouring out yourself in the service of others. And the power God gives you to stand and be courageous in the face of difficult situations and circumstances, he does it so that you may love him and love others well. And you see, the thing about Christian ministry is, it requires love. Love grows, it's a bit like like muscles in a gym. They grow when you test them. And love grows when you test it. And if you're in Christian ministry, your love will be tested. As we read this letter, we're going to get hints of how Paul's love is tested at times by various people. And how Timothy's love will be tested, because sometimes he's got difficult people around him. And you need strength to keep going, but, but it's a strength that enables you to love. And it enables your love to expand and grow in the face of opposition. The Spirit gives us power, he gives us love, and he gives us self-discipline. I, I like this when I read it. It says on the board, I will not cut corners, I will not cut corners, then he's just started doing the ditto marks. Uh, that's what self-discipline is all about. It's about not cutting corners. When I was a, an accountant at um, uh, a firm in Manchester, uh, they give you the policies you're supposed to do. You know, this is how you're supposed to do every job. The reality on the ground didn't always match the policies in the book. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, There are times when people were supposed to do it one way, but it was quicker to do it another way, so you did it the other way. You know, uh, just from time to time, there's a temptation to cut corners. Now, the thing was, at that firm, every piece of work was reviewed, so you had to be a bit careful which corners you cut, and actually, often you'd be found out, and they'd say, no, you need to do it properly. Uh, The thing about Christian ministry is, it's easy to cut corners, because not everyone sees what you're doing all the time. No one knows if you're praying for people in your small group. No one knows if you're actually bothering to invest real time in God's word, particularly if you're going to teach it to someone else. Uh, And if you do a bit of quick Googling, you might be able to blag it. Cutting corners is possible. But self-discipline means that those who are empowered by the Spirit to love won't do that. The Holy Spirit will help us. He is with us. He gives us the strength to stand in the face of difficulty, the love to keep going and pour ourselves out for others, the self-discipline to do things well and properly for the glory of Jesus. So, it's a great cause that comes with precious. But God doesn't leave us to do it in our own strength. He gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do this ministry. What a great thing. So what do we take away from this? Well, pray. (laughs) Pray for God's Spirit for yourself to help you in whatever ministry he's given you. 
Pray for your ministers or your group leaders or whoever it is that is discipling you. It's not an easy job. I don't mean that because of who you are, but you know, just any Christian ministry is not an easy job. Do you pray for them? Ask them to be relying on God and his spirit to give them power and love and self-discipline because they're going to need it. Just like you are if you're going to keep going as a Christian. But here's the other thing. Be confident. Be confident in the gift God has given us. He has given us himself, his Holy Spirit, to live within us, to give us these things. Well, one day people were asking Jesus about prayer and he says, look, which of you, if your, if your child is hungry, will you give him a stone? You know how to give good gifts to your children. Won't God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He is a good gift, a powerful gift, a gift that we need to do this work. Be confident that God will give us himself in the person of his Spirit as a wonderful gift to keep us going when we're stretched. And as we close, I was just reflecting. Do you want to see the power of the Spirit? Do you want to see, do you want to be confident in this gift? Well, well, here's how I can convince you that it's true. The most Spirit-filled man who ever lived was the Lord Jesus Christ. And just consider him for one moment. Consider his power, his strength to stand. Have you ever read that account where where the crowds come with pitchforks and and things ready to lynch him and his followers are so terrified they're running away or they're grabbing a sword at random trying to slash at people and Jesus just stands in front of them and says, who are you looking for? Jesus, it's me. Come on, arrest me, take me. I'm ready to go. What strength of character. What love he showed. I mean, it must have been tested by crowds and by followers who failed and messed up all the time. And yet, after they'd all ran off and betrayed him, when he rises from the dead, what does he do? He walks into the room where they're all there and he says, what, you horrible lot? He says, peace. Love like no other. And self-discipline. Jesus did not cut a single corner on his road to the cross. He knew where he had to go. And he was empowered to do it all by the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit's Be confident in the gift God has given us. He is a powerful spirit. And we need him because the task is great. But the task is glorious. It's nothing short of the promise of life, which is found in Christ Jesus, the promise to know and enjoy God, the God of love and light and life for all eternity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the glorious task you call us to be a part of. 
we confess to you, we find it hard. In the pressures of life, we struggle. There are times when there are tears, there are times when we're tempted to be cowardly. Thank you so much you don't call us to do this great work on our own. Thank you you give us a good and perfect gift. Your Holy Spirit, thank you for the way he equips us. Thank you for the way he equipped Timothy. And as we read of Paul's advice to Timothy, let us take it to heart and realise that we need to rely on you by your Spirit, in prayer and by feeding on your words, in order to be useful to the cause of the gospel. In order to go and hold out the promise of life, even while we're under pressure. And so we pray you'll help us do just that in Jesus' name. Amen.